Geek Shock. Geek Shock. On the Ten Rings thing, I am actually seeing that tonight at uh, uh, 10. I yes. actually, for some reason, I thought that was coming out right after I got back from Iowa. I thought, like, I was going to see it that week. And I got all excited and came home like, nope. Did they change the date or, or am I just, did I just get myself excited for no reason? Yeah, I think you're self-excited. Mm-hmm. I don't feel I can see Shang-Chi because I never saw Black Widow. Is it connected? I don't know. No, I, exactly. Not. We we don't know for sure. We haven't seen it yet, but all the no. same, I, I feel like I can't watch the next one without seeing the one prior. And it's already starting to affect me in just my interest in Disney Marvel, I've noticed, just, just by missing that one. I mean, I, I'll, I'm sure I'll see it once it goes to Disney Plus for for its regular streaming time, which I imagine isn't going to be too far away. I bet it's playing at the uh, $2 theater already. It might be, but I'm not really going to movies, so that's pretty much out. So why are you worried about Shang-Chi? You're not going to see that in movies either. Exactly. So I'm, I'm wondering, like, at what point do I start to lose interest just by not seeing the Marvel movies, by just letting them go? I've already lost interest in What If?, what? I saw the fir- I saw the first two episodes. They were good, but I pretty much forgot it existed after that. Wow! And I know the new one's Doctor Strange, but I Doctor Strange is one of my favorite Marvel characters of all time. But I'm like, yeah. oh, I'm sure I'll get to it eventually. But you're all over the stuff I, I'm going to talk about in, in in what I did, what geeky things I did this week. <laughs> well, let's bring everyone else in. Welcome to Geek Shock number six hundred and three. I am Master Torgo. Eighties Jeff. Commander K. Fact check, Andy. And we're here to talk weak and geek and by and by waning interest in Marvel. I it's Sad. and I'm sure and the thing is I'm sure it will come back the moment I see Black Widow or whatever Marvel movie comes next in my view. Uh, I'll be like, oh yeah, now I remember why I'm so excited about these. These are good movies. What's the but, reason? But my you lack haven't... of I just don't go to movies for the obvious reason it's we're still in a pandemic yes i'm vaccinated yes the chances are lesser but i've already had one fucking scare recently mm-hmm. so i'm not quick to go jumping into crowds again it's like you went to a fair well i just was gonna say because majority of the theaters are number one pretty spaced out and number two pretty empty so i just was curious as to if you were just being overly cautious or if you were just being the hermit that you have become over the last decade <laughs> i've just become overly cautious because i just go see one of these movies on my own in the past yeah i'm just overly cautious and i realize that's on me but i do have a waning interest in the marvel movies right now and i don't think it has anything to do with the characters because i'm quite interested to see shang chi i'm very and i definitely want to see black widow but i just don't want to go out to see them yeah, I enjoyed Black Widow quite a bit. It's not amazing, but it's very good. Certainly worth watching. Certainly enjoyable. I didn't no, hate but... it as much as Matt Donnelly hated it. Yeah. <laughs> oh, he hated it? Yeah. What was his reason given? Just he wanted to see a Black Widow movie. He didn't want all these other characters. Like, oh. sorry. It's a multiverse. You know, there's, there's stuff involved. There's, 
they're setting stuff up, and that's what he was complaining about. And I don't, why does that have to be a part of everything else? I'm like, yeah, it is. It, it kind of is, but if that's what they did with it, I mean, they didn't really do that with Iron Man, at least not the first couple of them. They did it, I guess, with Iron Man 3 a little bit, but all the, all the Marvel characters that have had their own movies, they haven't been this massive influx of other Marvel characters to oh, bring them all together, ex- except for the later ones, like Civil War, which was more of an Avengers movie than a Captain America movie. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, all the Captain America movies were... Um, Winter Soldier is very much a crossover with all the uh, other characters. But Captain right. America 1 mm-hmm. is not. Correct. Right. It was set up. So, so to give her her own movie and make it an ensemble piece, I yeah, can see the argument ag- against that. But that's not... I mean, that's just as the multiverse... multiverse as the uh, universe, the MCU has been progressing it's become more and more interrelated i mean there's there's yes, some crossover true. in every movie as it goes on that's true and and i wonder if i'm getting a bit of fatigue from that i would like to see uh like a spider-man movie a spider-man movie for me that i really like to see is him just being peter parker and fighting against street crime and maybe at the end the last three quarters with the rhino I don't know. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, I would like to see that more personal Marvel story that you get in the comic books about those characters. Sure. Yeah. Uh, I, I have I have the crossover with the other ones uh, every now and then, but also, come on, just give us a, a single story about a single superhero. Yeah, and and I, assume, I assume Shang-Chi <laughs> will be that. Uh, and, and almost all of them, when they've introduced a character, it's been that. Mm-hmm. I mean, Captain Marvel was that. I mean, they had Nick Fury, but Nick Fury is yes a character, but not exactly a superhero. He's sort of the he's sort of the the glue that holds it together. He's sort of the uh, the, um, the hell's the word I'm looking for. I mean, he, I mean, he appears to link everything together. Yeah. The the thing I think the the problem that you've pretty much stated there, Todd, is that she's already been introduced. Mm-hmm. Oh, true. Uh, this is very yeah. true. So the do, and I think that that may be part of that might be part of their calculus in doing it the way they did. That plus they just they want more they toys. want more toys. Yeah, I, th- <laughs> I think I think and and, it's, and sorry, it's a bit of a spoiler, but they, you you know it because you've seen the previous. I think part of the the Black Widow movie is him setting up her sister to be the replacement Black Widow. Yeah, that that was almost a given mm-hmm. by what I could see just in previews. Yeah, they don't ever do that in a movie, but that this does seem like that's what they're leading to. Yeah, and uh, I think that's what they're setting a lot of this up for because they're mm-hmm. losing contracts with a lot of the original actors. Mm-hmm. You got to fill in those roles, so that's where you get uh, Riri for the for Iron Man, and mm-hmm. I mean Marvel kind of did that in their comic books in the last twelve years anyway. They, but they still have the originals, but they have all these younger versions of them, too. Right. Uh, and that's that's where it seems to be heading toward as far as where Marvel goes. And those are contracts that uh, they have a little more control over. Yeah, I'm going to jump right into the geeky things I did this week because we're okay. right conversation. So what um, geeky thing you do this week? I watched All Hail to the King. Again, rewatched All Hail to the King. Which is a little short that was attached to the uh, DVD of uh, Thor to the Dark World that shows Ben Kingsley's character from Iron Man 2. 
shows him. Three. Uh, is it three? Okay. Yep. It shows him coming up against the actual Mandarin, the the one, the person who's trying to portray. Uh, he he sends somebody to get him. Disney Plus put it on their streaming service this week, obviously to uh, drum up stuff for Shang Chi, because because you realize once you see this again that they've set up the Shang Chi Ten Rings Mandarin thing, and I guess Mandarin's going to be the father now. Yeah, you, they they set this up way in advance. I mean, they said in Iron Man One they set up the Ten Rings. It's you assume it's fake then, but it turns out it's real, and they uh, they they've, they're connecting the first MCU movie to this new early part of this. What is it? A four phase four. So I'm excited about seeing Shang Chi. I it's uh it's weird because it's in the comics he's not a character. He's just their kung fu character. He's just their uh, he's just their martial artist. Uh, later on, there's other martial artists that have sort of superpowers, but Shang Chi is just a martial artist in the comics. So yeah, I'll be interested to see what they do with it. What else you do, Andy? Uh, I uh, randomly watched The Losers, which is a old older movie, not older, a couple years ago. It's a DC comic property. I'm not familiar with the Vertigo version of The Losers. I'm familiar with the the 70s version, which is a World War II comic. But the premise is kind of there in that they, they they do come out on top. They do get what they accomplished done, but they don't get the credit for it, and, and things kind of fall to shit. But it's, a, it's an amazing cast. It's got Jeffrey Dean uh, Morgan. Morgan. Zo, uh, Zoe, Sald- Zoe Saldana, Idris Elba, and Chris Evans. A couple other folks, but those are the big ones. Um, and it's fun. It was definitely enjoyable. I watched What If, which uh, I don't want to talk about too much here because I don't want to spoil it for you, Todd. You definitely should watch this. This is, this is I, very... I will get around to it. I'll be like, oh, yeah, I'll, I'll end up turning on Disney Plus and going, oh, yeah, what if I should finish that off? It's a very I mean, the second one is it's a good whodunit. This one really feels like an actual what if comic because a lot of the what if comics. Yeah, yeah. The first couple of ones, the first two were kind of, you know on the positive side with a little bit of sadness at the end. What if comics rarely ended well? No, and that's it. I mean, it was, it was kind of the what if comics, part of their, their point was, yeah, what happened in the 616 is the best possible answer, you know? Occasionally there'd be something like the, the uh, second one, the child one. Occasionally it'd be a what if where it ended nicely. But this one really feels like a what if comics. It's like, oh yeah, this, this, this screwed up everything. So uh, it's 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 very dark and wonderful. Um, oh, okay. Now I'm more interested. Maybe that's and, been the problem. Maybe what if has been too positive for me. <laughs> and, and Benedict Cumberbatch really gets a chance to shine in this. He really goes places he doesn't get to go in the actual in the actual movie. So it's it's delightful. Not not um, to mention it does feel a lot like that particular episode is tied more into the upcoming Doctor Strange movie. Without, yeah. without it necessarily being reliant on the new movie. It feels like it's it's an enhanced part of it. So if you, you yeah. could still go see Multiverse of Madness without seeing this, but it feels like if you see this, it's going to enhance your viewing experience. I bet that's where you where you find your joy again. I bet you when the when the Multiverse of Madness comes out, Todd, you'll be back into this. Yeah, maybe so. I mean, like it's like I said, I Doctor Strange can do no wrong. I love I love that character. 
I played through Portal 2 uh, again. Mm-hmm. Uh, fortunately, I'd forgotten most of the puzzles. Uh, I've forgotten you know, the basics, but I forgot some of the details, so it was delightful. I got to enjoy it again. The first Portal is a fun, very little game. In fact, I think it was free as part of another game. Wasn't it like an add-on to Half-Life or something? I believe, yeah. It came with Half-Life yeah. 2. It's nice, clean, quick. You know. The second one is much more epic. Uh, it's got much more weird backstory. You get the you, you get a bunch of weird backstory you didn't know you wanted, but it is there. It has that brilliant Cave Johnson speech by, uh, oh, hell, what's his name? Um, J.K. Simmons? So he plays Cave Johnson, the guy that actually founded the company that the testing is being done in. And he has this wonderfully insane speech near the end of his arc. Something about life gives you lemons. Well, don't, don't take the lemons. Give them back the lemons. Tell them I'm going to burn down your house with the lemons. Yeah. <laughs> insane rant. Few games have ever elicited such charm and just giggly joy of discovering that world as Portal and Portal 2. Portal, you kind of saw some of the story in some of the little hidden layers of it. Right. GLaDOS is one of the greatest video game villains of all time. Yep. And... Two really just fleshes out everything there so much so that I don't even need a three. Two is the story going through the second one. There was like what I thought was a throwaway line was into the first time, which I'm not going to spoil for people having to watch it. But there's this didn't even think about it. And when I got to the end, I'm like, oh, right, because I got to do this. And then, then it was something they hinted at way, way in the middle of the thing. So that was fun. And uh, the other thing I did was not our usual geeky stuff, but I rewatched uh, Hopscotch, a 1980 Hopscotch. movie with uh, Walter Matthau. Probably not one a lot of you have seen. It's yeah. a sort of a spy movie. It's Walter Matthau's a, a spy, and uh, they're going to semi-retire him. They're going to put him to a desk job. And uh, he says, fuck that, and walks off and starts writing his memoirs and, and teasing the... Uh, CIA with sending the memoirs to a whole bunch of people while he's escaping them and running, you know, jumping around from place to place. And it's just a charming movie. It's really cleverly written. It's a lot of fun. Uh, Walter Matthau, Ned Beatty, and Sam Watterson. And uh, I got to watch more Walter Matthau movies. I I watched Take Napellum 1, 2, 3 a month or so ago, and uh, I've forgotten how much I enjoy watching him. And Walter Matthau is much more believable as a spy than anybody who's played James Bond. <laughs> he's a I don't think guy. He's, he's also an incredibly underrated uh, dramatic actor. Uh, everybody's used to thinking of Walter Matthau as, you know, just this purely comedic actor from the, you know, various movies he did, like Odd Couple or uh, The Sunshine Boys or, right. uh, God, the one where he's um, some heart surgeon dude. But he's he's actually also he actually is a dramatic actor and he actually can he does have the chops for it. Give me a, give me an example of something he was in dramatically because I'm 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 searching a library for these things. Oh Jesus! Uh... Can't see him as Jesus. That's that's back. Well, <laughs> well, the, the thing that started me off was uh, taking a Pelham one two three. Yeah, but he I he, mean, he still plays that kind of comedically. Kind of comedically, it's, but it's, it's, it's not a comedy. A comedy. No, it isn't. So what, so what brought you to Hopscotch? Just going through the public library looking for something. My dad 
doesn't remember and would enjoy. So, and that it hit, hit the fit, fit the bill. He really enjoyed it. I want now he wants to see more Walter Matthau movies. So, I mean, my uh, my asking you about my Walter Matthau movies is not entirely uh, uh, random. But yeah, I haven't seen Odd Couple in years. Not the original. Uh, yeah, I'm not sure I saw this since I saw it in the theaters. I would definitely recommend it. It's it's a it's an entertaining two hours. You should watch JFK then. Everyone's in it, including Walter Ma- Walter Matthau. I did watch JFK and I and I enjoyed it well enough. I actually read the book and there's but, some compelling parts to it, but I understand people's problems with it. Oh yeah, uh, but you know what? With all of its foibles and issues, and like you said, there are plenty of them. JFK is a really well-directed and entertaining movie. That oh, that absolutely. script and and frankly, the way it's edited together is genius. Mm-hmm. Back and to the left. Back and to the left. Back and to the left. <laughs> Anything else you do, Andy? That's plenty. That's, I, I just, that's I, plenty. I just Jeff, splur- splurged all over you here. Jeff, you're next. Splurged all over. <laughs> Come on, Jeff. Um, give, us, give us your splurge. Absolutely. Uh, so I got to watch a few things this week. Uh, I'm going to start with the uh, one that I believe it was Andy that mentioned this before, Gunpowder Milkshake on Netflix. I, I finally got to watch that. That was a that was a fun little movie, fun little action flick. All Just, action, no soul. Uh, I, I wouldn't say no soul. Just it's it's more about the action than you know. No it's not soul. a deep movie, but it's a definitely enjoyable movie. Yeah. Uh, and in that same vein, uh, Jolt on Amazon Prime, which uh, stars Kate, Kate Beckinsale, which <laughs> I didn't realize it was her at first. I just you know I started playing it, and I was like, oh my god, that's Kate Beckinsale, because uh, she's she's very blonde in the um, in the movie. So it just it gives her a slightly different look than what we're used to. But uh, she's, of course, the lead and she's uh, somebody that has a kind of a hair trigger like condition where like if if she sees something that's wrong is as how she puts it. But, you know, basically some kind of an annoyance that sets her off and violently, of course, chaos ensues. But uh, I, I hesitate to say too much more if anybody wants to watch it. It doesn't have great ratings online, but it's fun. It's a fun little action flick as well. Which did you like better, Gunpowder Milkshake or Jolt? Probably Gunpowder Milkshake. Okay. Both of them are, like I said, just fun little action movies, uh, entertaining. You know, you don't have to go through that whole whodunit thing as you're going through the plot of the movie. For that, I watched a Netflix limited series called Clickbait which was a very interesting series. It's only eight episodes long. Each episode's about 40 minutes. That one is kind of a whodunit that you really, typically, I'll, I'll figure out who done it uh, midway through the series, but you know, they, they gave it a complete 180, and uh, it was the person that you least suspected kind of thing. So you're like, oh, wow, that was, they had totally set it up so where you're you're completely looking in one direction and and don't see that it's somebody else but uh it's the the premise of the series is there's a guy who has uh been kidnapped and there's a video of him holding a sign saying that you know he's done some terrible things and once that video reaches 5 million views uh he's going to die and of course you know 
in this day and age, everybody wants to watch it, and they're telling their friends to watch it, so obviously the views get uh, set up pretty quickly, but each episode focuses on a different person in the series, you know, so they start with, you know, the husband, and they start, then they go to the wife, and the sister, and the sons, and so forth, it's a, it's kind of an intriguing way to set it up, but there's there's view, very few who done it that that can kind of fool me that way, and this was one of them. So nice, I gotta say it's it's rare. So yeah, that that automatically gets me interested if it fools you, Jeff. Uh, like I said, I don't want to say too much more in case you do watch it, but it's on Netflix. Like I said, it's limited series. It's only eight episodes long. Each episode's only forty minutes. So those were the main things. And then of course I did also watch the fourth episode of What If as well as the uh, the third episode of Lower Decks, which it's still still a fun series going forward. I'm very happy with that series so far. I think more people need to watch it and quit bitching about it because <laughs> co- comedy has been inherent in Star Trek since the original series. So all these naysayers going, oh, well, it's a Trek comedy. It's not taking itself serious. And I'm like, yeah, it's a comedy. It's pointing out some of the absurdity of some of the things that we take for granted in Star Trek. So, you know, let it let it be its own thing. You know, stop trying to make it what you want it to be. Anyway. I've got to jump back here again because I can hear big screaming from the future at me. Uh, Glenda Jackson is an important part of uh, Hopscotch, too. She's very good in it, and uh, I'm sure she is one of his future ex-wives, uh, <laughs> if she's still alive. Um I think she's I don't know. But yeah, she she's she's actually quite charming in the movie too. Quite, quite fun. Uh I finished Hades last night, in fact. Uh the the game has an ending, kind of. Uh, <laughs> uh I I reached the end where they show you the credits of everybody that worked on it. And it's a very satisfying game if you stop there. However, the game is designed that you don't necessarily stop there. The story continues after it ends in some way. I don't know entirely what that means. I'm going to continue playing a little bit to to find out what that is. And there's still a lot uh, to unlock and discover in this game. And that's been the greatest thing about this game with roguelikes. If they keep that sense of discovery alive and that sense of exploration alive you get longevity out of these games and this game does that right. I know I've, I've gushed over it the last couple of episodes. Uh, this will probably be the last time I bring it up because I got a feeling that I'll be setting it back shortly after because I have reached the credit screen of it, uh, but I'm still compelled to play it. The gameplay is still that good. I can definitely say that this is the best game I've played all year and will most likely be my game of the year. I can't imagine something beating this. Which is a hell of a thing to say for a thirty dollar game. Wow. So congratulations to, to uh, was it Big Giant Games, something like that. You created a near roguelike masterpiece, and many roguelikes can take lessons from you and and what you've created. So kudos to oh, you. I can't wait to I can't wait to pick it up for the three sixty. You're gonna love it on the three sixty. It's it's uh, it's gonna blow your mind on the three sixty. Just you wait. Just and keep waiting. Um, Actually, can you quite seriously with the phrase? Was it roguelite? Is that what you said? Yes. Can you explain what a roguelite game is? 
yeah, I did it two episodes ago, but I'll do it again. Uh, basically, the game, every time you play it, the dungeon shuffles. So even though the gameplay is the same on how your character reacts, your weapons are going to act differently every time based on what boons you come across along the way. So every time you play it, you play it until you basically die or you complete the whole dungeon. But along the way, you gain varying currencies and find certain things that add boons to your character that are permanent so that next time you play it, your character is that much more powerful so you can get that much further in the dungeon next time. So it's a combination of an ever-changing dungeon, an ever-changing gameplay as far as what weapons you have. And your character in- grows in an RPG style uh, to have new abilities that you didn't have the last time that you played it. So it always adds this one more, one more time-itis in gameplay that uh, is the gold standard for all great games. The game that you want to play just so you can not only see what happens next, but you can try out the new things you got this round to see how much further you can get. And on top of that, it has a good story to boot, which it never comes with any of these roguelites. Thanks. I, I, I heard you. I remember you doing that description. I didn't realize that was the description of roguelite for some reason. That's weird, but that's fine. Didn't Zero Punctuation just do a video on that recently? I know he did uh, something with roguelites, and I swear it was the one you're talking about here. It very well could be. Again, this game has been out for at least uh, six or seven months for the Nintendo Switch. It's only in the last month that they opened it up to both uh, Xbox and PlayStation. So I I would be surprised if he hasn't done it already. He will do it. He tends to hit all the big ones, and this is one that's kind of taken uh, video games by storm. And if you are a subscriber to the Xbox Plus or whatever it's called, I don't even know all the names, but these their subscription service, their game subscription service, uh, it was available Gold, day is one. Is, is that Xbox Gold or is that something different? Uh, it's something different. Um, Xbox Gold is their old thing. Okay. So if you have the Xbox download service or whatever it is, the, the cloud service, uh, it's available to you now, so no excuse not to try it out. It's on Steam as well. Yes, that, you're right. That was released with Nintendo Switch and Steam at the same time. I'm, I've been looking at it. I just I haven't had much time to jump into it. But you you keep you keep talking it up, and I'm like, ah, yeah, I might, I will. Here's to be called Xbox Cloud Gaming. All right, to yeah. the point. <clears throat> It's kind of uh, it's kind of what it says, Andy. It, I mean, that's that subscription service. You can do things like play Xbox games on your computer. Like looking at my screen for my my computer right now, there's a little Xbox logo where I could click on it and start up the subscription service and get Xbox games on my computer here. It's officially um, called Xbox Game Pass. Jill. I was just gonna yes. say, isn't it Game Pass? Uh, not not uh, not yeah, anything else. No. <laughs> So, um, yeah. Although, ironically, I, I, I think they've, they've gotten rid of, like, the, the live gold accounts, yet somehow I still have one. They were going to, but they stopped because of uh, blowback. Ah. So that, yeah, it's, that's officially still going for how long, who knows, but... Yeah, it's kind of weird. When I, when I boot up my Xbox, I get a big old thing 
uh, an advert thing to join Xbox Gold. But I've got my stuff. If Xbox Gold goes, will you lose all your zombie maps? No, because it was downloadable. But uh, I think I think things will get complicated. I don't know. I try not thinking about it because I just don't have the time. <laughs> and it's just, you know, damn it. And also started watching Castle Rock, the Hulu exclusive Stephen King pastiche show. With a, it ran for two seasons. They canceled it after the second season. Uh, so started watching the first season of that. And it feels like a Stephen King show. It all takes place in Castle Rock, the infamous small town that a lot of Stephen King short stories and a few of his novels took place. Uh, even has some a few of the characters in it, although I, I can't figure out where this show lives. It doesn't live in Stephen King's universe, but it takes place there. That, that's been the kind of weird thing. For example, uh, one of the characters in this show is Alan Pangborn. He was the sheriff of Castle Rock. He was featured very prominently in The Dark Half and Needful Things, and in a couple of short stories he was mentioned too. Uh, so he's a character in this, uh, but it's later in his life. But it doesn't seem that Dark Half or Needful Things ever took place in Castle Rock in this story. He's a variant. Uh, yeah, that's what it seems. It, 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 the whole thing seems a variant. Like, the, the, the settings are there. Shawshank Prison figures heavily in this first season. Oh, wow. Um, I know there's a relative to uh, Jack Nicholson's character from The Shining is in this. They they wow. make allusions to Stephen King's stories that happened in the past. Like, Cujo apparently happened here because they talk about the dog incident from years back. Mm. So... It, there, there's a, there's a lot of Easter eggs in that regard. However, it doesn't seem like the large stories that really affected Castle Rock, mainly needful things, either that or the city developed heavy amnesia. It is a J.J. Abrams joint, so it does have that J.J. Abrams mystery box aspect to it. So that kind of lostness that there's always some mystery to unravel. The whole show is about unraveling a mystery. It seems like there's only one story per season. My, no, my understanding is the second season involves Annie Wilkes, which is the character from Misery. She's a big part of that. Mm. And apparently Ace Merrill and Pop Merrill figure into season two. Uh, Ace Merrill being the uh, bad guy lead bully in Stand By Me, played by Kiefer Sutherland. Uh, oh. But also figured heavily in Needful Things. Uh, and uh, Pop Merrill figured largely in the Stephen King story, The Sun Dog from Four Past Midnight. So it's a story for Stephen King fans that feels like a Stephen King show. Uh, it's, it's very the dark secrets of a small town kind of thing. Uh, but I'm still not sure. I know Stephen King gave it, gave it his, his blessing, but I'm still not sure what has happened in the past King's shows versus this it's it's that's still very confusing does so, it, it, it's confusing but does it bother you Talk? no uh frankly uh, the way i've i've uh i feel about it it's telling its own story so it doesn't it's not like it's building off of these stories 
it's it's just kind of weird that they're referencing some Stephen King stories and not others, especially ones that were very prominent in that town. Well, maybe they didn't want to get too close. I mean, they sure. Maybe it was that because King gave his blessing, they could go X distance. But yeah. because of licensing issues, say, for the people who own film rights or television rights to needful things or something, they can't go, you know, X squared. Maybe I something like that. Very uh, likely. I think you're on. I think you're on to something there, Kay. I remember when you first talked about it and I was just like, it's a brilliant idea. Frankly, if 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 King had the, the power to just to just have a TV series that just referenced the living holy hell out of all his works, however they wanted, that that'd be that would be really cool. Of course, also, if you just were extremely tangential, it could be very cool. You know, instead of Castle Rock, you have, you know, Castle Stone or you know <laughs> Fort Stone uh that that small town in x state and we don't even mention the state and then you just get very close to the names but you don't hit it right on the head and then you have things like the dog incident or uh, the short story i read at the end of the reprint of salem's lot which is people running just driving in the winter close by where salem's lot used to be and having a vampire encounter and people just talking about don't go near there. And, you know, it's, you know, it's just not good, you know, and stuff like that. It, that actually could be kind of fun, but that's probably it. It's probably they're, they're, they're walking the ragged edge of licensing. Getting into the actual books here, Todd, I haven't read needful things. I'm assuming there's a lot of, there's a heavy supernatural element element in that. Yeah, Needful Things was touted when it came out as the last Castle Rock story. It was the story that basically would destroy the town. And it was kind of made fun of in a Rick and Morty episode, the episode where the devil goes to the town and opens up his own cursed antique oh, shop yeah, kind yeah. of thing. Okay. Mm-hmm. And and that's that's kind of what it is. The, the devil opens up a store called Needful Things, and the things in the shop are free. Uh, you just have to do him a favor that seems innocuous but ends up put, turning one person into another, exposing secrets, and basically the town destroying itself due to its gossip circle. And I think it's interesting having a character crossover from the body, which is a very straightforward lack of supernatural story, into the supernatural story. Well, the Merrill's... Featured quite a bit in a few of Stephen King's stories, mm-hmm. both uh, Ace and his father. Okay. So, and and they're very compelling piece of shit characters. So, so I'm interested in seeing where this is going. And it is telling a fun, interesting story. Uh, Skarsgård is in it, the guy that played Pennywise in the It films. And he's wonderfully creepy in a whole different way. So, I, I don't think anybody can do creepy like Skarsgård. Uh, so that's the main things that that I I did this week. Kirsten, what'd you do? Well, I had a I had a busy week, so I kind of when I did stuff, I did mostly uh, YouTube history stuff, my YouTube history stuff, because I I was babysitting the puppies for the oft mentioned Francine and Jerry. I was also dealing with a highly irritating uh, irrigation issue in my backyard. And and everything was coming together all at once because on top of that I had was leading up to a colonoscopy and endoscopy uh, yesterday, 
what a joy. Oh boy, it it's just it's been a week. So I uh, I did get in the mail a fig. It's my uh, my character Metal Storm Fury Nine Omega, oh. my Warforged Barbarian from uh, one of my one of the games that I played uh, with the Scoop Monkey D and D Guild for several months, almost a year uh, before uh, a bunch of. A bunch of commitments were just just piling up, and I had to uh, I had to let go of something. And um, Kevin Toledo sent me actually two figs. One was painted, the other uh, not. And uh, it's my Warforged. It's basically uh, hero uh, hero forged uh, figs. Nice image put together in hero forged, and then uh, then ordered. Thank you, Kevin. You really didn't have to do that, you crazy guy. But that was really cool. The, the figure is very loyal to the image that I commissioned from John Bean Hastings. Um, so there was that. I uh, it, that was a very pleasant thing that got that arrived just today, and I opened it up and found it. So thank you, Kevin. You uh, you crazy mofo. That I oh <laughs> okay. I whipped up the Amazon Prime and put up Rutger Hauer's post-apocalyptic, written and directed by David Peoples, Blood of Heroes, <laughs> which is a weird post-apocalyptic movie that actually created a little tiny sport called oh. Juggers. Yes. Ju- yes, Juggers? Andy. Juggers. It's, uh, it's this weird sport. And basically, the story is the these guys going around the post-apocalyptic wasteland, and they're playing this game. And it's like got three guys in armor with with uh, pole arms, and uh, one guy swinging a chain above his head, and then one person who's called the Quick. It's it's, it's kind of Quidditch before Quidditch, <laughs> but the Quick has to fight with the other team's Quick to grab a dog skull and mount it on a pole uh, in the uh, opposing team's territory uh, before X number of seconds, which are counted off by 100 rocks being thrown one at a time at a metal pan. So you just get this. (laughs) And then there are all sorts of rules. Who can hit whom? What counts as a hit? And... Apparently, I did some research because I was like, what are the rules to this fucking game? Because I'm seeing people fighting and I'm seeing I don't understand it. And I I uh, went to uh, the Internet and discovered that Australia, America uh, and uh, uh, UK and, of course, Germany, because, you know, Germans, um, they they LARP these games. They're 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 like SCA tournament things. They have padded stuff and they worked out their uni their uniforms they worked out their rules you know where people who can hit whom and what the how you score your points and they got that all set up it was really it's very interesting little researching there and the the post-apocalyptic theme was they were called um juggers so that's generally what the game is called depending i think i may have mentioned this on a previous episode years ago maybe because because Combat Con has several of the people who actually play that, and they they did a demonstration. Okay. And I, 
and uh, the uh, I just looked it up. The next Combat Con is in July. It's still happening, so there there was one. But that's a convention that happens in Vegas. It's uh, uh, stage combat and actual combat. So mm-hmm. it's it's a really weird convention, um, yeah. which I've worked a couple times. I've set up a booth at. Uh, but yeah, I met a bunch of juggers and they were very excited about it. And they had their, I saw the armor. I saw their armor made out of crap. It's like, yeah, it's all, all designed with the, the post apocalyptic aesthetic. Yeah. yeah. I have no doubt. I have mm-hmm. no doubt. Of course, for me, Andy, Combat Con will always be that description you had of the cage match of the taser fighting. Yes. Jesus Christ. Just fucking blew my goddamn mind. And, and and then I remember going one time and actually hearing as as we're walking around booths and stuff as people are. My favorite co- part of Combat Con has always been yeah the, the uh, filing cabinet, the, the filing cabinet death. <laughs> Remind <laughs> us about the filing cabinet. Well, they 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 get an old filing cabinet, they, a big steel, a, big, yeah, big 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 steel heavy one. metal one, and they, they beat the shit in, out of it. Well, yep. Yeah, they set up a room with a bunch of real weapons and everyone stands up in a line and takes three whacks at it and then goes back yeah. to the end of the line for the most part. Yes. And they and just yet, keep doing that for, for like an hour and a half. Todd, it's a room. Is- the the <laughs> filing cabinet is in the center of the room. You know, you get your before and after pictures and uh, yeah. yeah, they just spend forever beating the living tar out of this filing cabinet. I am just imagining the audible chaos. Oh. Yeah. One part oh, of the yeah. room is, is no. and the other one, clang, yeah. clang. I remember walking around a bunch of uh, booths, and, and this is one of those, you know, the big ballrooms, and they'll bring out the folding walls to, like, separate rooms. And we're walking along. Andy's uh, showing me swords and stuff because Andy has an intense fascination with spring steel. Mm. And um, that I do. The the booths are right up uh, uh, against these folding walls, and while we're walking, you hear this. And I'm like, "What in the hell is that?" And Andy's like, "Oh, that's the filing cabinet." And you know, he gets that little <laughs> smile he gets. You know, like when a when a when a pervert is within one thousand feet of a school, and um, it's just. <laughs> Oh, it's, you know, I have to say, uh, Shock Monkeys, you haven't really lived until you've gone to Combat Con with Andy because <laughs> there's just all sorts of interesting stuff around. It, but is, it is so over-the-top weird. It is. <laughs> it is. I mean, because it, I think the, the whole combat related because, yeah. you know, there's all this weird and there's this fun and woohoo and it's like about weapons. But mm. it's not a gun show where there's this layer of, you know, let's stop government from taking our rights, except right. when it's abortion, you know, or something like that. So anyway, Juggers, Blood of <laughs> Heroes. Um, I'm watching the opening. It had uh, It Girl of the 80s, uh, Joan Chen, in it. She aspired to be the new Quick and Rutger Hauer's uh, team. And uh, Delroy Lindo. And uh, Vincent D'Onofrio. Wow. And and so I'm like looking at this and I'm like, oh, this ought to be interesting. And I gave up about halfway. I got kind of bored. Oh, geez. Wow. <laughs> so I might I might finish it at some point. But I was just like, ah, you know, 
I prefer it, my post-apocalyptic to have a lot more. Let's just go out and kill those damn raiders who killed our family. You've made it through a lot of weird crap. Didn't you make it through uh, whatever that weird uh, uh, Ed Harris thing is with a with a with a jousting on motorcycles? Oh Jesus! Uh, I don't think I made it through that. I no. Oh, all right. Yeah, I think you've got me confused with one of your even crazier friends. I don't know. Uh, I, I know Paul has seen it, so that's well. There you go. Enough. Then it, it, it's good enough. Oh, Paul. I mean, I guess I, I guess this is geeky. Our our friend Paul is uh, unloading stuff as he gets ready for his big move to Pittsburgh, and so everybody sit down, take a breath. But Paul was <laughs> unloading comics. Ooh, what? Yeah, and wow. so. Uh, I went there with my buddy Cooper, who's a, an internet connection. Uh, be, I'm sorry, an eBay connection. Uh, Cooper literally, uh, he's he's done so much eBaying that he actually has a little, just a little business where he he sell he'll sell your stuff for commission. So he was going through a lot of Paul stuff, and they were talking about what what to uh, uh, what could possibly be sold on commission. And it's really funny because it's Paul. So it's like, oh, I don't know, Cooper. What about like the first 20 issues of Powers <laughs> and stuff wow. like that? And, you know, you could just you could just see Cooper sitting there, you know, <laughs> rubbing his hands together. <laughs> so so there were numerous comic book boxes set aside for that, as well as a bunch of where we were just like, eh, Amazing Spider-Man, like 500 to 700, uh, was just sort of like, I don't know if that'll really sell much. And so that's quarter box shit. Exactly. So Paul had that set aside for something else. He's going to the core nerd stuff. I think he might be keeping the Simpsons stuff and the. Oh, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Bongo. It it was like, oh, Bongo, I'm keeping those, you know, stuff like that. And, And even things that are not immediately coming to mind, but are vintage paul and after that i went to ralph's new location today it's not well it might be as wide as uh, ralph's old store but it's definitely deeper Mm. and nice wide aisles he's really happy with it he uh and uh, i feel kirsten (laughs) but it's it's really neat location ralph is happy as a clam and uh, while I was in there, uh, I finally worked up the nerve to actually say hello to J.H. Williams, who is a regular of Ralph's and was actually hanging out. Uh, his uh, his m- new comic, Echo Lands, had come out, and uh, I bought a signed copy. Nice. Um, so uh, talked to him for a minute or two. Is he the one that did Fables? As an artist? Uh, I mean, in addition to other things, I know that he... He did a, uh, some collaborations with Gaiman. That's how I mostly remember him. But uh, Andy can probably give us better information while John Hastings shouts at the right. uh, you know podcast uh, machine. But he, I like I like his style. I like um, I like what I have seen of his work. So I definitely uh, picked up his book and we just talked for a little bit. That was cool. Very cool. So and it was it was just neat being in Ralph's place. I actually actually bought a Bela Lugosi poster because, you know, 
let's just celebrate for Ralph. Let's. So, there we go. I think that's that's really the bit. Oh, and I read uh, Critical Failures number two. God bless. Uh... <laughs> Man, N- nothing oh, like some D and D esque uh, farty stories. In it. Yeah, with dick and fart jokes. Um. Oh man, that <laughs> that stuff was just. It was really funny, as I as I told Todd, when. Uh, oh, Andy, I'm sorry. I actually owe you an apology. Oh, good. Uh, yeah. Because uh, Todd and I played Gloomhaven yesterday, and I didn't even send you a picture of it. You, yeah. <laughs> just, I'll, I'll forgive you this time. <laughs> So, so, uh, uh, oh, by the way, one of the big things uh, Williams is known for is uh, the uh, DC Batwoman. Okay. Um, the current incarnation of that. He did do one issue of Fables. I just looked it up. Oh, he did. Okay. okay. Uh, Sandman Overture. Sandman Overture. Is uh, that's it. Thank you. I knew there was a specific Sandman, but then I was, my brain was going, no, you're thinking of Dridgenberg. Shut up. And it's just so I'm like, okay. All right, anyway. So where was I? We're uh, playing Gloomhaven, and I'm telling Todd (laughs) my colonoscopy as the the happy juice is about to hit, and I'm lying on my side with the back flap of my gown now open, and they're waiting for me to go out so they can start doing their... Uh, invasive uh, healing. I just start thinking of, uh, of of getting filled with the the gas while they do all the filming and stuff, whether it's oxygen or CO two, and and the the resulting farting that comes after that and everything. And then I started thinking of all the fart jokes in in Critical Failures two with the character Cooper, who plays an incredibly low charisma half orc. And the author's description of his low charisma is involves a lot of uncontrolled bodily functions. And so I actually started laughing right there on the table as uh, as I'm going under for critical for uh, colonoscopy, thinking of critical failures, too. And the, the whole thing was just it just amused the hell out of me. I don't want to hurt your feelings, Kirsten, but those doctors talked about you. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, and, you know what? They got I, video, Andy, so I, you know. And I don't think there's a better blurb for uh, Belvin's books than that yeah. one. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Oh, man. He really rides the ragged edge of almost going too far, but he does actually hold it back enough so that when he does throw out the fart, you know, or poop joke, it hits you, and it, it, I find it amusing and funny. So uh, the one one criticism I did have for the book, too, I mentioned to Todd, is he's beginning to rely a little too heavy on the characters make blatantly stupid decisions to move the plot along. Uh. And uh, it, it's starting to happen. There's a, there's a moment at the end of the second book where it was sort of like, and and spoiler alert, the second book ends right slam on a cliffhanger. I mean, mid-moment. And so, you know, you're going to continue on. But the character's already made a mistake that you you know is going to have consequences. 
in the se- third book, and it's sort of like, ah. The first book was loaded with stuff like that, but it made perfect sense because these were people who were in this weird situation and are trying to figure the fuck out what the hell's going on. So bad decisions galore. But now it's sort of like, okay. But there's still, I, there's still good moments, huh? I, I absolutely hate that in stories these days. Yeah. It's, it seems like such a cop-out because you could have the person make the right decision and things just go wrong instead of it constantly seeming like yes. it has to be the character making the blatantly wrong decision and then things go wrong. It's just right. like, I mean, right. they even bring it up in pitch meeting all the time. It's like, why would they do that? Because I need the movie to happen. Fair yeah. enough. <laughs> you know, it's just exactly. like, I mean, yeah, it, exactly, literally, yes. it literally feels to me like lazy writing. The only way they got worse, Jeff, is if you also had the characters uh, the, the dragging the story along because the characters won't talk to each other about something important. Right. Oh, yeah. wait, let's describe the Borland verse. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. yes. I promise I will yeah. never lie to you again. Very yeah. next episode, they lie again. Um, it, it, it is so disheartening when you're reading a book and you're enjoying the book, and all of a sudden the characters do something that people would never do, like take horse dewormer or something and and yeah. and just force yes. the plot to go along right i mean what next the uh, you know kids eating tide pods it's 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 so dumb it's so dumb. this reality yeah i know <laughs> yeah see elon musk is sitting back right now going i told you guys nobody listened to me um <laughs> but it um you know he he hasn't hit it full throttle yet but he's he's running the ragged edge and considering this guy has got a bajillion of these books. It's I'm sort of like, uh, how does this continue on? Although Todd ran me through some of the the other books he's gotten, he is definitely, definitely not tired of of dick and fart jokes. He's keeping it. He's keeping it going. You think of Kevin Smith's D and D episode on Big Bang Theory, and you're like. This is a set of books Kevin Smith could probably. This is this is Kevin Smith's fantasy epic. Kevin Smith could uh, could make these movies or make this TV show. That would be a a fine fit. (laughs) Uh, For for example, uh, some other titles of uh, Robert Bevins is uh, The Winds of Cooper, which we've already somewhat discussed. Uh, Fortune favors the kobold hung ogre. Um, the Fuckubus. <laughs> asses to asses. The unwashed asses. Hell's hell's titties. This poo shall pass, and pain in the asimar. So wow. you know what you're getting into. And yeah. juniper, and juniper forward starting all the form. <laughs> really right. Oh <laughs> man, it. It's it's so damn funny. That character Cooper, it's just because it, there, there's one scene where his uh, half orc barbarian with the incredibly low charisma is unconscious on the floor and something had just finished happening. And one of the characters is blaming him for it. And he's like, it wouldn't happen except for this fuck. And he kicks him. And the and Levin describes, you know, he he kicks Cooper. Cooper let out a fart. <laughs> it's so Unconscious half work, just lying there, kick. And 
I just I got I got thinking of all of that while I was on the table. So <laughs> are you okay, Andre? I am now, boss. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh. <laughs> oh, what a what an awesome uh, response to that. So yeah, critical failures. I'm I'm still saying go with it, but. I, I don't know. Uh, I know what you're getting into. <laughs> yeah, I don't know when it'll run out of gas. Yes. Oh, I think we did on that, man. So, um, and I do think, I think we can call that for, for this week. And Geek, I, ha- I, saw, I saw last week's What If, which I don't understand some of the poo-pooing about it. I actually enjoyed it. The third yeah. one? Yeah, the third yeah. one. I enjoyed it. Was, it. It was good. I think it was just that it followed up. Yeah, saw that one, and there's nothing wrong with the episode. It just, it just, yeah. the order with which they decided to right. present and, these episodes, I think, and, was a mistake. And, and that's once, actually, no, that's actually a, an anthology thing. That's that's actually pretty common. You start off with a, a decent one, and then put a really good one, and then you throw in everything else, and then the last one or two should be really good. Yeah. And, the, and, you know, the T'Challa one, that also, I think, that just uh, suffered from underestimation because it, it really did not sound like a compelling idea, and it just turned out to be fucking brilliant. Mm-hmm. So I'm looking forward to the Doctor Strange. I'm sort of like Todd in that I'm not burning to catch what if. I, in fact, like Todd, I actually will forget, you know. It'll be like Thursday, and I'll be Somebody will make a comment on Facebook about what if, and I'm like, oh, that's right. That was last night. So I'm not that driven, but I'm a little more committed than him to actually uh, actually going ahead and digging it up and seeing it. And I will. I'm just, I'm not, I'm not. <sighs> I watch him Wednesday morning, right when I get up. You know, the, um, I think one of the things the pandemic has done, because movies, right, movies in theaters are like one of the last quote-unquote appointment viewing things we've got. You know, they refer to old-style TV where it came on once and maybe there was a rerun later in the season and then it was either syndication or you never saw it again. And they call that appointment TV. And uh, there are a couple generations now that have no idea what the hell that is. And movies are sort of like that to see them on the big screen because eventually they'll end up on the small screen and there was an excitement there was a build-up and there was a collective this is when we all can do this and you know that's kind of that's kind of vanished now and even with movie with, with the pandemic totally killing things even with movies we're not really having that yeah there's definitely a lack of anxiety in regards to oh i can watch this anytime versus yeah Oh yeah. my God! I have to remember to a set up the VCR or b set up the DVR or you know whatever yeah. device you were recording on, and then we if you forget, you're like oh you're you're SOL. It's not well. Like- yeah, the the big thing now, you know, Jeff would be spoilers. That's that's like yeah. the the one reason to go catch something right away is so that you can avoid spoilers. But you know, peep except for the fact that I know it's Doctor Strange. Overall, I think with what if. Spoilers is not a huge problem, so that may be also a part of it. I don't know. So anyway, that's my week in geek. Uh, before we continue on, we got a little bit of mail, so we'll go on with that. Uh, this one's from Brandon. He writes, "Hi guys, 
I have a problem that I feel you all could help with. For a long time now, I have been reading and taking in as much Star Wars knowledge as I can. I was a big fan of the now Legends books, and I've been trying to keep up with the new canon. Since the new canon has started, I have had two kids and find myself with less time to keep up. So now I ask, is it okay for me not to keep up with everything and still call myself a Star Wars fanatic? Is it wrong to just look up a synopsis of a book instead of reading it? Thank you for all your help and for the great show, Brandon. Brandon, Brandon. the the only way you're going to be a big fan is if you read everything, talk about how much you hate it, and share all of that news about Kathleen Kennedy being fired. (laughs) There's no other way to be a fan. I'm sorry. Oh, my God. Uh, Dayton Ward on uh, <laughs> Facebook the other day was talking about uh, like something like who, he, who? Uh, Who's out- Dayton Ward. Dayton Ward is an author. Uh, he is uh, he's written several Star Trek books. Uh, I've, I know I've mentioned him on the show at least once before, but uh, I follow him on Facebook and he <laughs> he put up a thing about Alex Kurtzman getting, quote unquote, fired once again. Yeah. Uh, which is like one of these ongoing things. And I, I think I replied something like, he's like, by my count, both Kathleen Kennedy and Alex Kurtzman's, Kurtzman have been fired a record number of times up to this point. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> to, uh, to answer Brandon, there's just no wrong way to geek, man. You set your own rules and none of the rules are wrong unless it impedes on others enjoying the way they want to geek. That's the only wrong way to geek. Brandon, you're, you're allowed to have a life. It's okay. Yeah. Things, you, you, you age, things change, your priorities shift. And also, there comes a point where there is more content than one person can absorb. Guys, there was a period, I think the 70s, maybe the, the early 80s, was the last time you could read every single science fiction and fantasy book that came out that year. Mm-hmm. You could actually do it. And there was a time, 60s, 50s, and so on, when you could literally do them all. And you just can't anymore. No. Um, I'm going to definitely say pay attention to uh, the Darth Vader comics and Dr. Afra. Will Wheaton did the wonderful thing when he commented about being a geek where he said, it's not what you love, it's how you love it. And I think one thing that's really important in that sentence that doesn't get stressed enough is the word you. And it really yeah. is just how do you love it? So don't, you know, you, uh, you're going to have, yeah, yeah, you're fine. And nothing wrong with looking up the synopsis of a book, mm-hmm. especially when they're, they're canon and you want to know all the stuff in it. A synopsis is fine. And this is fr- coming from somebody who refuses to read a Reader's Digest convent- condensed version of anything. But it's okay to do that. The, the thing that comes up is there, there was at one point somebody who had read every book, the last person who read every book that was published. Because there was a, you know, there was, there was a time you could do that. And it's actually up in dispute now. I'm trying to find it. It looks like uh, Goth is possible. Samuel Taylor, Samuel Taylor Coleridge is possible. But I mean... There just is more stuff than you can one person can read. There's more people creating than one person can absorb. I find myself lately like wishing for more 
limited series or a series that is only maybe two or three seasons long now because I know that if I if it gets lost in the shuffle I can come back and finish it and not have to worry about it being an ongoing long-term thing because it gives me a slight bit of anxiety it's like I like this thing but there's so much of it now that there's no way I'll ever be able to consume all of it and like you, I, I started out trying to read all of the canon Star Wars stuff and was doing a good job of it. Uh, but then I started hitting roadblocks of books that just weren't that interesting. Uh, Tarkin, I didn't find that interesting. Catalyst, I didn't even finish. And, and that's the prequel to Rogue One. So it's okay to do it however you want. And when it comes to the books being canon... Yes, that is official, uh, but on the other side of it, they are never going to write the book that you have to read before you watch a movie or television show. It's all going to be set dressing and Easter eggy to the other stuff because they know that most of the people that are watching Star Wars, whether in television or movie form, are not reading them. It's, yeah. it's a small percentage, so they're not going to put something super important in those books that you just can't miss but man geek everybody geek out your own way if if you watch star wars because you like the costumes and hate the story that's great that's a fine way to geek do it on your own terms and don't let anybody tell you that you can't if you watch blood of heroes because you like juggers then (laughs) do it do it man and he's like watching the uh, the uh, uh, Juniper Forward uh, adaption of that. Did you like jugs? Even better. <laughs> wow, I think Andy's found his fixation. <laughs> yeah, even though he's referencing something before the recording, but okay. Yeah. <laughs> it's even better. It's even more obscure. It's perfectly Andy. Yeah, well, yeah, if your whole that. idea of geek is taking out a mace and beating a file cabinet and getting back in line more power to you. Oh God, that is so fun. (laughs) But let's go check in on the not so great stuff. News. You don't give a shit about. Oh God. No. Lionsgate has announced that they are making the fourth chapter in the expendables franchise. Yep. Done. I don't give a shit. Done. Not long after Sylvester Stallone teased the return of the franchise with the working titled Christmas Story, unquote, the official announcement dropped. The film will bring back Jason Statham, Dolph Lundgren, Randy Couture, and Sylvester Stallone. They will be joined by Curtis 50 Cent Jackson, Megan Fox, and Tony Jaa, who are all set to play new characters being introduced to the franchise. The film will begin production this fall and is being directed by Scott Waugh, who did Act of Valor and Need for Speed, as well as Snafu, from a screenplay by Spencer Cohen. So, you Expendables fans, uh, here comes more. Yeehaw! Uh, okay. I don't think the Expendable fans can are smart enough to operate a podcast. <laughs> wow. <laughs> to be fair, the first one was pretty good, because it, it was an interesting idea getting all these action stars together. Uh, I think everything after that just diminishing returns. Sure. I, I confess, that, I couldn't get myself the one through. Movie? Well, they did three. 
And I remember nothing really. I've seen all three of them, and I right. don't remember, remember much about any of them except for the first one. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah they're pretty forgettable it. material, but good, mindless actions throwback to the 80s action stuff. Mm-hmm. If you're watching those movies for the story, <laughs> you're watching the wrong movies. It's sort of True. like when Harrison Ford was talking to Mark Hamill. Mark Hamill was comp- complaining about his hair continuity in Star Wars after this, the uh, trash compactor scene. And Harrison Ford was like, Kid, if they're noticing your hair, we're in a lot of trouble. <laughs> <laughs> News you don't give a shit about. Uh, Netflix has picked up the rights to David Blue Garcia's new Texas Chainsaw horror thriller. Uh, nabbing a sequel that was originally bound for the theaters. Uh, we talked about it, I think, almost half a year ago, if not longer. Uh, the new movie is reportedly set to catch up with an older Leatherface, picking up long after the events of director Toby Hooper's original 1974 franchise-starting classic, uh, billed as a direct sequel that bypasses all the Texas Chainsaw lore that unfolded in the wake of the first film. Garcia's new take from Legendary Pictures comes, quote, years after the shocking events of the original in a setting where Leatherface hasn't been seen or heard from since, unquote. The small screen deal marks an agreement between Netflix and Legendary Pictures, which reportedly parted ways with the film's original creative team last summer. With the screenplay by Chris Thomas Devlin, who wrote Video Nasty, from a story by Fede Alvarez and Roto Seguias, who teamed up for both Don't Breathe and Evil Dead, uh, the new Texas Chainsaw Massacre hasn't yet been given a release date at Netflix. I must have blinked or something. And when you started that, I thought you were talking about Disney Plus. I'm like, what? What Texas Chainsaw Massacre and Disney Plus? What? Yeah, yeah well, you blanked all right. It that, that, it's an older Leatherface, much like the beginning of Up. You know, it's it's there's a there's a touching montage of of moments of life. You know, throughout his uh, killing career, uh, before yeah, before he gets to where you know yeah he goes through different faces and. And stuff like that before oh, he's a uh, montage of faces. I can see that. Yeah. Pop, yeah. Pop, 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 yeah. <laughs> you know what? I'm not a big fan of Texas Chainsaw Massacre in general. I don't care nope. for the series. I find it overly nasty and, and just kind of uh, soul crushing in some ways. And I realize that's part of the draw why people love it. Uh, but. If they just reworked up so that, yeah, they had that montage and then Leatherface just ends up attaching a bunch of balloons to his home and floats off somewhere else to go do his thing, I would be so down for that. (laughs) There you go. Uh, But I will say I lost a lot of money in the Hollywood Stock Exchange on this because – because when I when I saw it on there as the movie, I'm like, oh yeah, I'm putting lots of money on this because it's gonna make its money back. They they have, and so I, it's a surefire win. It is gonna be in the theaters, uh, and now I'm scared for all of the 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 classic monster, uh, uh, not the Universal Horror Monsters, but the classic '80s monsters uh, getting eaten up by my horror stock exchange portfolio going to Netflix. Because I I could see at this point. Friday the Thirteenth getting bought up by Netflix or can, can you can you sell now and move on to something else or are you stuck? With oh, I sold. Year? Although it, it already lost most of its money by the time I found out about it. 
Right. In fact, I found out about this because my stock dropped so low. Can you sell your, your other 80s horror classic movie stuff now? Uh, most of them. Uh, the only one I haven't is still Friday the 13th, just because the the cash amount on it is so low that if it happens, I'm not out much of anything. But, but then again, all these uh, 80s slasher characters going to Netflix, uh, you'll have like uh, Mike Myers with a cigarette dangling out of his mask. <laughs> yeah, other face. With a cigarette dangling out of his mask, uh, Freddy <laughs> holding a couple cigarettes in his uh, slashy hand, you know, smoking. Yeah. So, because yeah, Netflix. So there is that. I'll probably end up watching it just because I am curious. I, I like what they did with Halloween, where we say, okay, we're throwing out all the confusing extra story after the first one, and we're just continuing that first story. They're doing that here with this, so. Uh, the horror lover in me is too curious not to watch it. But at the same time, it's Texas Chainsaw Massacre and most of the world has moved on. News you don't give a shit about. Uh, This one, a bit of a trigger warning, uh, especially for those who have recently had a colonoscopy. Uh Oh, what? Uh, What asshole said that? (laughs) And and if you're squeamish, if you're squeamish, you might want to skip ahead a couple of minutes. Yeah, Um, Andy. Skip ahead. I've had my colonoscopy. I'm good. There's been a lot of talk of potentially fatal alternative medicine lately. Uh, There's another story to add to the pile. Uh, Nobody was intentionally eating toxic amounts of farm animal deworming drugs this time, though. Instead, a man decided to shove an entire live eel up his ass. Ah! Uh, But let's start start from the beginning. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, We're starting from the beginning with a man from Xinhua who had been suffering from constipation Mm -hmm. last July in hopes of relieving his condition. He decided to turn to folklore. Apparently, there's a uh, Chinese folk belief that eels can help with bowel movements. He took a nearly eight inch eel and proceeded to insert it into his anus. That's when things took a turn for the worst. Uh, eels, yeah, you think maybe maybe this is going to happen? Uh, eels are notoriously slippery fish. Instead <laughs> of relieving his constipation, the eel slid entirely into the man's rectum. And if that wasn't enough, the fish proceeded to go slightly nuts and chewed through the man's intestines, ending up in his body cavity. Uh, he still didn't seek medical attention until the next day on account of being embarrassed. Uh, the, the, doctors, <laughs> the doctors removed the eel in emergency surgery. Oh, yeah. And the fish was still alive when they pulled it out. What? According <laughs> to the doctors, the man nearly lost his life in the ordeal. Unsurprisingly, having an eel coated in fecal matter squirming around in your stomach can lead to a fascinating number of infections. Uh, luckily for him, though, the man made an uneventful recovery. So... Uh, it, it all turned out well, and I assume lessons have been learned. How's the eel doing now? <laughs> yeah, really. That's a, that's a fine question. Traumatized, I'm sure. Yeah. yeah. So that and, just and you like this, you can't give away all at once. You know, to 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 make an ICS connection, you guys, you got to make sure your eel has a flared base. That's right. <laughs> that's um, so true. Otherwise, yeah. you end up with shite eel. 
Yes, that that rare, rare German Chinese porn crossover. It's, you know, they don't do much of those anymore. I don't know. They what are you don't. shaking your head for, Jeff? <laughs> I, just this whole... Uh, it's, it's everything. It's stuff like this. It's people taking animal medications thinking i i I just don't i just don't want to live on this planet anymore professor farnsworth had it right just be glad you heard it here and not fox news before there's a run on eels so yeah right oh no let him let him run on the eels (laughs) yeah really (laughs) i feel sorry eels eels, but apparently they can survive it yeah and of course the guy showed up at the didn't he showed up at the hospital right with a paper bag over his head (laughs) because <laughs> that's what you do when you show up at the hospital with something up your butt that needs to be surgically removed. Is that real? Is that really well, part of the story? N- that's all part of that stupid uh, Richard Gere rumor from decades ago. Oh, the Richard! I don't, I've never heard that part of the Richard Gere thing. The, yeah, the paper bag involved in paper the paper the bag Gere over story. his head, so people don't recognize him. But they figure it out anyway. Well, I'm sure Murray Langston's pissed about that. The unknown comic. <laughs> Yeah, really. Weekend Geek! Yay! God. <laughs> yeah, especially after that last one. <laughs> That's some old school geek shock news you don't give a shit about right yeah. there. Well, I really do hope, uh, Todd, you start with something up someone's butt for this uh, Weekend Geek. <laughs> uh, Disney is relaunching the Rocketeer up the butt. Aha! Uh-huh. Uh, the Rocketeer is going to be developed as a live-action feature film for Disney+. Plus. Uh, the film, entitled The Return of the Rocketeer, is being produced by David and Jessica Oyelowo. Edward Ricourt, who did Jessica Jones, is on board to write the script with David uh, Oyelowo to possibly star. Uh, Ricourt's script will focus on the retired Tuskegee Airman who takes up the mantle of the Rocketeer. Uh, the original film, released in 1991 and directed by Joe Johnston, took place in 1938 and featured Billy Campbell as Cliff Saccord, a young stunt pilot who discovers a prototype jetpack that allows him to fly. With it, he becomes a masked superhero who takes on the mob and Nazis. Based on Dave Stevens' 1982 indie comic book character, The Rocketeer, as a homage to the Saturday matinee serials from the 30s and 40s. <clears throat> Secord and homage. They say it in the movie several times. Secord. I've never seen the movie. No. (laughs) (laughs) Oh boy. (laughs) All right. So, uh, so, 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 Cliff Seacrest. Add add it to the list of things Todd hasn't (laughs) Uh, seen. Our dedicated geek, Todd. So, yes, you're right, Cliff Seacrest. And while not a hit, it was originally released. Uh, the Rocketeer wound up being a cult classic. I loved it. I saw it in the theaters. I saw it a couple of times. I just, I don't know. There was something about it that just really struck a chord with me at the time when it came out. Well, it's got the same fun feel as Indiana Jones. Is it? Yeah, it does. Um, and, of course, you know, one of my early... Uh, celebrity crushes Jennifer Connelly is in there too, so that didn't hurt it either. But uh, yeah, I don't know. It was just a fun movie. All of the actors really kind of took on that whole '40s esque feel, as far as like the you know the way that they were playing their parts. 
I don't know. It just it was it was it was quite an enjoyable film. Uh, I'm interested to see what they do with this kind of modern take on it, even though the other film's only what 25 years old. And there's been a lot of of buzz of fans wanting them to make another one, so I'm I'm glad they're they they felt there's enough of an audience for that to do this. Is Billy Campbell even doing anything anymore? I haven't seen his name bounced about in a while. I don't know. I don't think I've ever seen a movie he's been in. Well, he's in a movie called Rocketeer. Yeah. <laughs> Get a chance. Uh, see that. Fathom Events. Uh, Jennifer Connelly. Uh, uh, Labyrinth is coming out. <laughs> Get the stroke wallet. I was like, somebody call like, his dad. Like, All right, did everybody... just call us Jennifer Connelly? No, Jennifer, Jennifer Connelly. You mentioned Jennifer Connelly, which made me do a search. Yes. I remember the Labyrinth is coming out. The 35th anniversary. <laughs> is that what uh, you do I, when Jeff says an actress's name? You just start searching it? No, I, I, or I remember. just Jennifer Connolly. I remember that. I remember that the labyrinth is. It was one of those things I wanted to mention. Is that the because we missed right now as we're recording this goddamn thing. We're all missing the uh, anniversary for of on Fathom events of uh, Stripes. Oh, it's already are, gone. Are, are, we, are we really missing it? That's fact, Jack. Wow, Todd. But One of the classics. Or, or, or are we just missing the first half of it? <laughs> That's a valid point. <laughs> uh, but no, I figured the you know our fans would want to have a heads up on the labyrinth and fathom, and you got to see that. Really, I mean, I saw it the best way. Which was at the uh, when they were doing those sort of weird classic movies that were only classic movies from twenty years ago. So I saw Labyrinth in a in a room full of fangirls squealing over uh, David Boy's crotch. Which oh. until I saw that showing of it, I was unaware how much that movie is about David Boy's crotch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think uh, I think we went to I think we did that, Andy. I think we because did. I, think we, yeah. I, I remember that that there was there was one vocal. There was one girl, she was, oh, yeah, every time the camera would pan by. And it didn't just pan by. There's yeah. points in that movie where the entire screen is David Boy's crotch. Well, well, there's a whole robot chicken segment about it. So, I mean, yeah, yeah. come on. It's, it's yes. there. That camera is in love with that bulge. Mm-hmm. Uh, this week we lost Ed Asner. He died at the age of 91. Asner's acting career stretched across over six decades with more than 400 credits, including wow. Alfred Hitchcock Presents, The Outer Limits, The Wild Wild West, Mission Impossible, and more recently, Cobra Kai and Doom Patrol. His biggest fa- claim to fame, however, was his was a regular cast member of the Mary Tyler Moore show. The part uh, in that eventually won him three Emmys. Over the course of his lifetime, Asner would be nominated for 17 Emmys, winning seven of them. As the years went on, Asner began voiceover work for television, film, and video games. Some of his most notable voice roles can be heard in Batman the Animated Series, Captain Planet and the Planeteers, Gargoyles, Freakazoid, Spider-Man the Animated Series, Superman the Animated Series, and Star Wars Knights of the Old Republic. And of course, Asner's most prominent animated character, Leatherface in Pixar's Up. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and Granny Goodness. Yeah, that's, that's what he played in the, yeah. in the Superman animated yeah. series. Lou Grant, the, the character I first saw him as. I don't know if you remember this, but they there was a after Mary Tyler Moore went off the air, there was a Lou Grant series. Yeah, that just complete left turn. A drama. It was, 
It was actually a drama, yeah. yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. It, my, it, was, my, it was well done. It was wonderful. My mom loved it. My mom loved it. So, And I, I actually have vague memories of just pestering her because it's like, this isn't a comedy. And I was just being, t- <laughs> you know, it was not a situation comedy, three camera live audience thing. It was a drama. It was a newsroom drama. Because that was sort of uh, coming after, that came after all the president's men. So they were, they were in that zone. Yeah, well, the, the Trapper John thing was just a bad, bad show. Yeah, the Trapper, <laughs> the Trapper John one. Trapper but that John was more MD. of a drama, too. Yeah. yeah. I don't know why we did that. Uh, Mike Flanagan is set to co-write and direct alongside brother James Flanagan a screen adaptation of the best-selling 1993 novel The Season of Passage by Christopher Pike. Pike's novel sends U.S. astronauts to Mars to discover the fate of an earlier Russian expedition whose crew members haven't been heard from. Uh, Wagner and her fellow U.S. crew members learn that there's seemingly supernatural reason for their disappearance and that some of the Russians may still be alive on the Red Planet living out a zombie-like fate that's only dangerous for anyone who comes looking, but worse than death itself. Mike Flanagan will also co-produce the new movie for Universal Pictures in partnership with Intrepid Pictures' uh, Trevor's Macy. Uh, there's no early word on just how closely the planned film will follow the events of Pike's novel, which received praise from readers and horror-friendly critics upon its early 1990s release. In addition to creating The Haunting of Hill House and The Haunting of Bly Manor for Netflix, Flanagan also has horror movie credits that include Oculus, Ouija Origins of Evil, and 2019's The Shining sequel, Doctor Sleep. Uh, And if you don't remember, Christopher Pike was that kind of 90s horror phenomenon that was aimed at younger horror readers, not like Goosebumps age, but when you're too old for Goosebumps, you read Christopher Pike. They were, they were kind of meant for teenagers. So like, yeah, like young adult versus middle grade. Isn't Christopher Pike the name of the captain from the Enterprise? Yeah. Well, you know, you say that, Andy, because it's interesting. I've actually listened to the audible version of uh, one of Christopher Pike's novels, and it's really bizarre because it's just like eight hours of I I realize this is over the computer, but I could smell that coming. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Andy kind of Andy kind of gave it away before I could actually jump into the joke. I was waiting for you to finish, Todd, so I could, you know, I could just roll this out delicately. But uh, Andy forced my hand. Uh, let's do some red light. Oh, God. Yeah, speaking of lights, let's do red light, green light. <laughs> red light, green light. Such a fun game to play. Doesn't matter what you say. They're going to make this shit anyway. I like the fact you put the red light, green lights at the end of the show now. So when you stop being able to pronounce names, it's okay. No, that's where most of the names are. (laughs) (laughs) Andy's just saying it's okay because he just, you know, interrupts. All right. So. Boo, boo. All right, gentlemen, we got four more pitches here. And one or more of these may be fake. You only get one green light. The titles of the shows are Hold On For Dear Life, Groundhog Night, one giant leap and girl in the woods. Groundhog night is fake. 
You think All so? Right. <laughs> Girl in the Woods is a Juniper Forward story. <laughs> You're gonna be really hard to cut her out of the show, man. <laughs> the first one, let's check out Hold On for Dear Life. Rob Weiss, who did Entourage and Ballers, is set to executive produce and direct a new scripted TV series that centrals oh, a new scripted TV series that centers around modern cryptocurrency culture. The series is titled Hold On for Dear Life, and it was created by the pseudo-anonymous crypto insider Sue Toshi, who wrote several episodes. The story follows, quote, a young tech founder, Mel, as she launches a non-fungible token, an NFT named after her best friend, Avir, who disappeared. Along with a squad of misfit friends, Mel must overcome enemies and centralized powers on a mind-bending and inspiring journey. The series is also the first show, quote, to tokenize portions of its net profits and its ERC-20 security token. The FDL token, that's for Dear Life, is available now on Securitize's online marketplace. Built on Ethereum using underlying smart contracts, the FDL token allows owners to receive pro-rated net profits from the series directly into their digital wallets, unquote. What profits? That's not all, though. <laughs> Quote, Sator announced that their blockchain-based platform and decentralized app that allows users to earn NFTs, tokens, and other rewards for simply watching their favorite TV shows hold on for dear life will be the first series to utilize the platform. Season one of the series' NFT is also being minted. Those NFTs will be based upon original art, proprietary content, and IP from the shows such as characters, storylines, outtakes, scores, and original art. Collaborating with NFT artists, the series aims to lead television into a new era with discussions of releasing an entire episode as an NFT, unquote. So there you have Hold On For Dear Life. What do you think? I hate I, it. Yeah. <laughs> I, I like every single thing that you have said as this that pitch progressed just irritated the fuck out of me. I mean, this literally sounds like some douche bro corporate whatever PR speak, like from top to bottom, like trying to make it. It's, it sounds like a business venture wrapped up in the guise of an entertainment option. And I just everything about it just makes me cringe. Did I mention this was created by the creator of Entourage and Ballers? Oh, oh you did. That was the first thing that like made me go, <laughs> fuck this noise. Like I, <laughs> I I had to I had to bite my tongue and be courteous and let you finish the pitch because there were about four times I wanted to say, stop, 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 just stop. <laughs> Done. This is an automatic red light. I Wait, I you're you supposed could, to bite you, your tongue and be courteous about this shit? Yeah, Nobody right. told me that. Somebody, well, oh, Andy, we tell you that every fucking episode. You, you have to be at least courteous enough to let him. Before. I have to. I meant to courteous enough to let him finish the pitch. Yeah. Instead of Andy. just cutting him off and saying no, don't, don't even bother. You know, you get out, get out of the office. Frankly, I wished you had because it was no fun to say. <laughs> <laughs> Am I the only one who hears fungible and I just think fungus? Yes. Yes. You know, every time fungus. I hear non-fungible tongue, I just see, you know, lichen, mushrooms, uh, you know, moss, whatever. It is spreading like a fungus. There you go. <laughs> I mean, it's, uh, boy, oh, boy. 
Wow. I just stopped kind of I just kind of stopped to scan what I just read. <laughs> and and my brain just collapsed upon itself and now I have a small black hole so the whole show is about to be sucked in. Right. I mean, that, just, that 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 pitch was essentially like uh, just, Mad Libs of of uh, of uh, <laughs> Corporate douchiness. Yes. It literally yes. felt like one corporate douchey thing layered on top of another. It's, it's, it's like it's just, some marketing I, genius was like, okay, okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to take all the things that are popular right now. We're going to cram them into a TV show and we'll not only make money from selling the show, we'll make money off the show itself by selling non-fungible tokens. we got to synergize in the, uh, the, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, I, uh, Andy, I, I picture it's, it's, a, it's, a text with a whole bunch of blank spots in it that have the parenthetical douche PR speak. It's it's all PR buzzwords. The entire pitch was just PR buzzwords crammed together. <laughs> Ugh. Well, maybe you'll feel better about the next one. Netflix is developing a new series called Groundhog Night from the producer and creator of The Good Place, Michael Shore. Uh, Manny Jacinto, who was in The Good Place, is signed on to play Danny Lawson, a new employee joining the night shift at the Buxatani Street Cleaning Service. Rather than a simple street sweeping job, he discovers he's required to help reset the town every night with the next morning always beginning February 2nd or Groundhog Day. The show will depict events from the movie Groundhog Day from a new perspective. Quote, we'll be exploring the concepts of free will, cause and effect, more responsibility and compatibilist determinism, says Shure. Uh, Bill Murray is set to executive produce, but has not been confirmed that he will be, appear on the show. What do you think of Groundhog Night? It's an interesting premise. It is. I mean, we've had plenty of Groundhog Day style shows, shows that right. re- reset and then they have to do something different, reset. It is... It is basically the roguelite of movies and TV shows. Uh, But I like this idea of that it's an intentional thing and the powers that be are actually resetting the thing for the Groundhog Day character. I've never heard that aspect in any of these kind of things. The the machinations behind it. It's always some some mystery, and the mystery's mm-hmm. never figured out as to why. Right. And this kind of goes to explain some of the mystery. Yeah, pulls a little bit of the curtain aside. So that's and different. it's Netflix. So not only is there going to be a lot of smoking, but you'll see people <laughs> smoking over and over again. Ned Ned Ryerson. <laughs> Bill. So we'll move on to the next one. One giant leap. Barry Levinson, who did The Natural, Rain Man, Sherlock, uh, Young Sherlock Holmes, is attached to direct a TV series called One Giant Leap, which will tell the story of the moon landing. Kevin Costner, Stephen Corinch, who was part of 24, and Mike Metavoy, who was part of Zodiac, are executive producers. Cronich also wrote the series and will serve as showrunner. One Giant Leap, quote, will look at one of the most historic events in U.S. history from a slightly different angle stressing the personality conflicts from within the flight team that almost doomed the mission before it left the launch pad and how a NASA psychiatrist's predictions of disaster for astronaut Buzz Aldrin were ignored by her superiors. 
The series will also look at the Soviet Union's attempt to destroy Apollo 11 on its way to the moon and the Cold War victory of America over its Russian enemy as well as celebrate the singular moment of accomplishment that drew together half a billion people around the world. Cronish added, it's the telling of the moon landing as more than one of the most stunning scientific achievements in history, but as the triumph of all two human beings over their own flaws, unquote. Yeah, so what do you I, think uh, about one giant leap? I like this one. This is uh, got a lot of potential. I, uh, I uh, enjoy the idea. Plus, I'm, I'm, I realize that I'm the only one here who's actually was there for that and was actually watched that. Well, yes, yeah. You you also I predicted it. it on the cave on the cave. Did you really? For it. Huh. <laughs> you, you would have been like like three, right? Right. You remember watching it? That's great. I, it's one of my earliest memories. Wow. Okay. It it I guess it doesn't count for something because I'm nowhere near interested like you. Mm. So personality conflicts and. The the one thing would be the Soviets trying to destroy Apollo Eleven, but I, I didn't I, know about that. Jeff, uh, that sounds highly highly fictionalized. There were apparently Russian attempts to sabotage the program, but it was not destructive. I guess it was just meant to you know delay the program and cause some technical issues before the rocket were to ever be launched. So I I, I don't like the the notion of that it was. You know, they were trying to destroy the rocket or whatever. But as far as like the personality conflicts, that's been a that's been one of those urban myths that uh, the crew themselves have repeatedly debunked uh, because they said once you're in that training program, your your goal is is set and all your personal conflicts are set aside and you start becoming this team. You know, because even Michael Collins said before he passed away uh, recently that uh, there's a lot of stuff that was said about Neil and Buzz and, you know, the the competitive nature of those two is like, yeah, we're all competitive. But at the end of the day, our goal is the same. So there's three of us in the capsule all the way to the moon. So we had to get along. It just wasn't an option. But only one of them pulled rank to get on the ground first. Well, it well. Neil was always scheduled to be first. He was always scheduled to be because he was the mission commander. Yeah, uh, I, I mean, you know, only one of them could pull rank, Andy. That's what pulling rank is. It's <laughs> you're not going to have two people pulling rank because one of them's got the rank. Right. <laughs> pulling rank is another great uh, juniper forward movie. <laughs> <laughs> ah, yeah. Fine, rank? it's staying in. <laughs> <laughs> really? I'm trying so hard. There, to there was there was, ep, there was ever a question, Todd? <laughs> he wants the joke he made before we started recording to be a part of the show so badly. He will he will add infinitum do it until I give in, and I've given in. Oh wow. Appeasement, Todd. It's appeasement. <laughs> it's You're not appeasement. It's my own sanity. <laughs> You've given him Sudetenland. Now he's going to try to take Poland. <laughs> I want to feel bad about it, but I can't. <laughs> <laughs> I think, isn't that one of Juniper Forward's favorite lines? Yes. 
This wasn't me giving Andy permission for this joke. That was me giving myself permission to not spend a half hour in editing. (laughs) (laughs) So that was one giant leap. (laughs) Oh, my God. Next up, Girl in the Woods. Peacock has Girl in the Woods, a young adult supernatural drama from Crypt TV. Based on Crypt TV's 2018 short film, The Door in the Woods, written and directed by Joey Green, and its 2020 sequel, The Girl in the Woods, written by David Calbert and Van Gwynn, and directed by Roxy Helberg. The Girl in the Woods series follows Carrie's escape from a cult-like colony in the Pacific Northwest that guards the world from monsters hidden behind a secret door in the woods. Kristen Ritter, who played Jessica Jones, will direct the first four episodes and co-executive produce, while Jacob Chase will helm the last four and produce. Casey Madera will serve as head writer and co-executive producer. Crypt TV will show run the series. Launched in 2015, Crypt was co-founded by CEO Jack Davis and filmmaker Eli Roth with Blumhouse Productions as an investor and strategic partner. Crypt's original monsters have spawned five original series on Facebook Watch, including The Birch and Mira Mira. Its IP has also been featured on Netflix anthology series Don't Watch This. So that's Girl in the Woods. What do you think of that one? Yeah. Uh, lackluster, but I think it will... I think it's going to make some money. I think it'll be fine. I just, I'm, it's not for me, but yeah. Monsters. Yeah. And I will say, if you like short form horror, like, like you've been looking for anthology TV series that are kind of like monster based, look up the YouTube channel, Crypt TV. Uh, Crypt TV is nothing but short horror stories, usually very monster makeup forward. And pretty good overall. They create some really interesting and very creepy short movies. Uh, so my, my personal thumbs up to Crypt TV. But but there you got, gentlemen, you got House. Oh, Jesus Christ. I, I really <laughs> have, a, have a house goddamn show. Andy, you broke me. Um, <laughs> Again, I want to feel bad about it, but I can't. <laughs> you have Hold On For Dear Life. Groundhog Night, One Giant Leap, Girl in the Woods. Where do you lay your green light, Andy? One Giant Leap. I think that's uh, got some real potential and could be very good. Jeff, where do you put your green? Uh, I'm going to go with Groundhog Night because I really wanted to green light One Giant Leap, but it just sounds like it's an overly dramatized version of events, kind of like they did with uh, Right Stuff on... Disney Plus slash National Geographic. It feels like they, they've over-embellished things that might have happened but probably didn't happen in the space race. Uh, and Groundhog Night, I, I like the pedigree behind it. David Shore did a great job with The Good Place as well as Brooklyn Nine-Nine. I think it's an interesting twist on the, the time loop story where, you know, there's actually somebody pulling the strings and you're seeing one of the the people involved in doing that, you know, this this maintenance guy getting the thing set up. So I yeah, that's where I'm gonna go. Karsten, what do you think is uh like I'm getting ahead of my god Andy you broke <laughs> <laughs> Wow. Wow, Andy. <laughs> yes, Todd. Where you put your grade? Girl in the Woods is compelling. I like monsters. I think, you know, hey, 
let's monster it up a bit. You know, I, I haven't watched uh, uh, what is that for all mankind, which is the really the variant. I think that you know, guys. I think that's the new term. Oh yeah, for for reimagining or rebooting uh, or re yeah, you know, just the variant. But I, uh, for a variant moon landing, I, I don't have a problem with that at all. I, I, what I don't like about that pitch is the way it makes it sound like it's fully drawn, you know, from history. The Soviets actually did have Luna. Uh, I can't remember the number. It's one of those their their robot thingies that was going to go to the moon and collect samples. And, and go back to Earth, um, it actually, a lot of people, most people don't know this, it actually crash-landed on the moon while the astronauts were there. Whoa, I didn't know that. Uh, but it, it, I have a feeling that's the hook for the Soviet attempt to sabotage, and I'm not, I just, I don't know, it, don't play, don't play it's historical if you're fictionalizing, and if they do believe it, then I'm having a problem with I, I just there are things about the pitch I'm not thrilled with. Jesus, and uh, what was the other one from Groundhog Night? Wait, um, Groundhog Night and Hold On for Dear Life. Oh, Hold On for Dear Life. Uh, you know Groundhog Night. I think I like like Jeff. I like the concept. Um, I guess it. I, it you know, for me, it hasn't quite played out yet. Uh, a lot. I mean, Jesus Christ. Real, there really is a fucking explosion of Groundhog Day shit in there. Um, yep. I like the I like the concept of the reset. It'd be very interesting, a la Russian Doll, um, where you know you get the episode upon episode of repeat and stuff mm-hmm. like that. And but this this would go in a different direction as opposed to people trying to figure out what the hell's going on. Rather, it's it's experiencing it and. The, the idea of the consequences, that's actually a very compelling thought. So I think in the end, I'm going to go with Groundhog Night. That's where we put our money. Groundhog Night wins the green light. So that being said, which of these do you think are fake? Andy. Um, <clears throat> I said from the get-go when I heard the title that Groundhog Night is fake, and I still hold to that. I'm very curious to find out which one of our incredibly creative and clever monkeys came up with the concept, but bullshit, it ain't happening. I'm also very happy that none of us voted for that goddamn douche canoe uh, Mad Libs thing. (laughs) (laughs) Although douche canoe Mad Libs, uh, that's a new Mad Libs. They got to put that out. Jeff, what do you think's fake? Uh, I, I think I have to agree with Andy. I think Groundhog Night's probably the fake one because the, the first one, uh, the NFT bullshit, the, the title's already left my brain. I've already purged it. Uh, just sounds too terrible to not be true. I mean, it literally sounds like something (laughs) one of the studios would do. And then, um, having watched the, the right stuff on the Disney plus Nat Geo, channel i i just feel like that sounds too much like something that's gonna be done and then uh the final one girl in the woods girl in the woods thank you that just that also seems like something that's real so yeah i'm gonna you know, say my my choice is probably the the fake one kirsten what do you think is fake 
I I I would go with uh, Groundhog Night, especially when I said, you know, Jesus, there seems to be a lot of Groundhog Day uh, riffs going on. But but I was fifty percent wrong when I I accused Scott Schofield of coming up with the uh, the one that was uh, Pat Spurl's suggestion. So I'm gonna go with Douche Canoe Mad Libs. And I'm going to say that it was submitted by Scott Schofield. It has Scott Stink all over it. So there you go. Douche Canoe Mad Libs. Uh, the fake one was sent to us by Ozzy Matt and Groundhog Night it is. God damn it. Oh for 2. <laughs> so thank you, Ozzy Matt, for sending us your pitch. And if you want to send us a pitch for this game, write to us. Comments at UglyCouchShow.com. Put pitches bitches in the subject heading and then... Give us your pitch. If you don't want me to edit it, please indicate so. And I, I also have to uh, congratulate Aussie Matt for taking a really interesting take on the repeating day concept. Yeah. Hollywood needs to give him a call. It was also a really well-crafted pitch, too, because, I mean, it, you know, the people he put behind it definitely sounded convincing. But until next week, I am Master Torgo. 80s Jeff. Commander K. Juniper forward. And we'll talk to you next week in Geek. <laughs> now, I... it all, you know what? It all started with Andy bitching about how he doesn't like gin and tonics. That's how this all goddamn began. <laughs> and that uh, was like her first porn, wasn't it? Gin and tonic? Yes, absolutely. Because Antonic was actually spelled like Antonique. And, you know, he's like the eth ethnically ambiguous dude, right? He just Maybe he's French <laughs> Creole. Ethnically ambiguous dude. Maybe, maybe he's black. <laughs> maybe he's Latino. Nobody knows. Well, he was always in competition with the mute porn star Christopher Spike. <laughs> Christopher Spike. Boop. 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 <laughs> and then he snores. Oh, we can't hear you, Todd. Todd, you're muted. Thing. I don't I don't do mutes. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> Oops. I I don't think anybody can do creepy like Skarsgard. Got a lot I'm of them there. Okay. I sorry, I my, my air conditioner is. Yeah, it blew right in your mic. <laughs> sorry about that. No, I, I just went over to turn it down a little because it's actually getting chilly in here. Uh, it was it was actually a fun process. It's it's like oh boy, being creative, isn't that some fun? Now I know why Andy does it so much. But um, <laughs> you think I do it because I want to? I yeah, can't really. help it. <laughs> so literally, you go past it a couple times, having no clue because all you see are stores. And uh, Andy is dead. What happened to Andy? Yeah, it looks like we uh, lost him. Well, that whole area around him. Oh uh, well, let's 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 yeah. stop here until we get Andy back. He's back. Andy, did right. you touch your screen again? I did. I touched my screen. Sorry. <laughs> you guys now. <laughs> Andy, don't touch that. There don't we go. Don't touch that, Andy. There he is. Title uh, of his sex tape. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Can you hear me crunching these cookies, Jeff? Mm, no.
All right, gentlemen, we got that red light is sleeping right on his chest. (laughs) (laughs) Todd's hit that point where he cannot talk. (laughs) I I can't wait to feel it over and over again in the next couple hours. I mean, you could you could just cut it out and just put it all with one giant smash cut of Juniper Ford through the the end. You're right, because that's not work at all. (laughs) Ha, 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 ha.